Now, I tell you what, the excitement is building here at Pinnacle because the delayed by an entire year European Championships. So, by the way, we're still calling it Euro 2020 for a reason that absolutely infuriates me beyond belief and I don't actually know why. But whatever it's called, it's the European Championships. It's just around the corner. And we're back with Info Goals' Jake Oscarthorpe to crunch the numbers and expected goals ahead of Euro 2020. And also joining the podcast is regular Pinnacle contributor and soccer expert Andrew Beasley. Uh, first of all, before we actually talk about the Euros, the last time that we were together as a trio, I just want to congratulate the pair of you on what was a, just an astonishing 40-minute podcast where you pretty much got everything right um, nailed your colours to the mask correctly in terms of the Europa League final and the Champions League final. So you had Via Real Andrew and um, Jake, I mean, you got the Champions League final pretty much spot on. So well done. Look how good we are. And uh, if you are a first time listener to this podcast and you're just joining in, uh, this is the kind of stuff that we do here on the Insight Betting Preview podcast. So, before we get into the info goal model as well, gents, I just want to get your thoughts on friendlies because we don't learn a lot from friendlies, do we? I actually find them relatively pointless. Um, I, I say don't televise them. Just don't televise them because they're kidding everybody on a little bit um, in many respects. The shocking tep- tepid affairs. Unless, by the way, you're Switzerland. I actually watched them smash seven in against Liechtenstein the other day, which was great. Just a goal fest. I learned nothing in terms of betting, <laughs> but it was great to watch. Um, what are your thoughts on the friendlies? I mean, just before we sort of talk about qualifying and all that kind of stuff, Andrew, um, friendlies, do we learn anything in terms of betting markets? No, not usually. And I think um, England's game with Austria uh, was a good example of that because it was essentially in, in large parts a shadow side because uh, Gareth Southgate couldn't use players from Chelsea or the or the Manchester clubs. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, talk about whether Trent Alexander-Arnold should be included, whether he would be included. And of course, then he plays and he gets an injury and now he's out of the tournament anyway in a game that nobody seemed to have any any great enthusiasm for. Um so I think the, the game with Romania this weekend should be a little more interesting. It will be closer to a first-choice team. Um, but clearly nobody's going to want to get uh, injured ahead of the tournament, and, and rightly so after what happened to Alexander-Arnold. It's interesting because you look at some of the Euro odds on Pinnacle, uh, pinnacle.com as ever. You've got the Euro betting odds, and actually you, you see the friendlies happening and none of the results in friendlies affect any of the odds whatsoever, which is quite amusing. Uh, Jake, you at InfoGoal have got this ridiculously comprehensive guide, 58 pages, and just talk us through it and where people can find it, because I think it's a really useful tool um, for those who are going to be following the Euros and having a flutter and, and, and trying to get the edge ultimately. So talk us, talk us through that model. Yes, it's a, it's a detailed Euros betting guide that goes through every team um, in quite a lot of detail from expected goals, uh, generating probabilities for each team's chances of progressing out of the group, as well as um, uh, progressing through the competition. So, you know, from that probabilities, from those probabilities, we do derive um, odds, implied odds. Um, and for each team, we've got two best bets, a player-based player, player bet and a team-based bet based on the odds that are available. So it's, it is really detailed. There's a lot of good stuff in there that you can use pre-tournament, but also during the tournament. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a really nice 
piece of content that, that houses everything that you would ever need really for for the euros pre-tournament uh, and it can be found on sportinglife.com or at infogold.com so that has been 14 months in the making has that so do go and check that out get the pinnacle odds up as well as you listen to this podcast if you're not on the move now there's a great article online as well at pinnacle.com and this is not just me plugging but it is also um, just the, the sort of where we're going to start in terms of previewing the Euros. Andrew's article on Pinnacle is can Euros qualifying matches help inform your predictions? So that is the question that I'm going to pose to you Andrew. I think it seems appropriate since you actually wrote the article. Um, can it? Can it influence your predictions in short? Uh, I think it can. Um, it's probably sort of fairly unsurprising findings, but the, the, the teams that win their group in the qualification process tend on the whole to do better than the teams that are runners up who come through the through the playoffs. Um, it's slightly difficult to judge fairly because every time they have a, a European championship, they seem to change the qualifying procedure and process. So it, 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 it has varied lots of times over the years, as, as has the number of teams that actually reach the finals. But yes, generally the, the uh, qualification group winners do a lot better. Um, there have been seven um, non-group winners or hosts who have reached the semi-finals in the last five editions. But the thing is that includes teams like Germany, Netherlands and, and Portugal twice who, while they were runners-up, are obviously not sort of minnows in the in the context of European football. I suppose if you're looking for sort of true uh, relative outsiders who made it that far without winning their qualification group, uh, you had Turkey and Russia in 2008 and you had Wales in 2016. And obviously with the expanded format of 2014s, which we've had since the 2016 Euros, obviously that gives the teams, uh, the weaker teams, a better chance of getting out of their group but it does also give them an extra hurdle to sort of navigate if they are to reach the, the last four of the competition. Mm. So if you if you sort of look at the history of it and you've, and you've got no other sort of thing to go by, then have a look at who won their, their group in qualification and the chances are that the, the winner and, the, and the, most of the semi-finalists will come from that group. Interesting. We look at Belgium, Italy, they won 10 out of 10 games in qualifying. Spain, Ukraine, Denmark, they also went unbeaten. So... Interesting. I mean, where we're going to come on to next is the value in the group stages. And this, I mean, anybody who's looked at the Euros has noticed that there is a group of death in there. And it's always a cliche. And look, it seems like every single tournament that we go to, there is just a group that, I mean, it's law of averages. Of course it is. There's always going to be a group that is heavy with sides who have notoriously done well in the championships beforehand uh, the one that, of course that we're talking about is the one that contains it's got France Portugal Germany and Hungary and Hungary are no mugs Andrew but that is a tough group I mean we're going to see one of the favourites going out guaranteed aren't we or struggling so uh, I mean where is the value in the group stages because that one kind of looks like it could be a bit of an anomaly we don't know where we're going but there's got to be some of the groups where where there is some value yeah i mean i'm i'm quite intrigued by um ukraine to top group c which i think is currently 6.2 on the the pinnacle odds um because they're the only qualifying group winner who are in that group um netherlands didn't win their group 
and Ukraine went unbeaten in qualifying in a group that included Portugal and they only conceded four goals in their eight games. Something else I saw which may be relevant, um, their squad has played the fewest league minutes on average of any of the squads um, at the tournament this summer. So they should in theory be the least tired, which after a compacted season with no pre-season before it, I think having fresher players could uh, could certainly play into their favour. And um, I must admit, I don't know too much about um, Andrei Piatov, but he's their goalkeeper, the captain, and he was in UEFA's team of qualifying, uh, which I didn't even know was a thing until I looked at the Wikipedia page. But uh, presumably <laughs> they've got quite a good goalkeeper. And uh, I'm not convinced that the Netherlands are quite as good as they're, as they're made out to be. So I think Ukraine to top Group C uh, could be worth a look as a, as a value bet. That's pretty good. I like the sound of that. Jake, where do you think the value lies in the group <laughs> stages? Because, I mean, a- Andrew's just picked out an absolutely glorious one that makes a lot of sense, I think, to listeners. So where do you see it? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I would just say that based on the XG data, Ukraine were very fortunate to top that group. Um they finished with six wins, two draws. They ranked third on our um, based on expected points in that group behind Portugal and Serbia, who didn't qualify. So I would just ones that I want to get on board with, but the data is telling me just to hold fire. Um, they could they could easily like every every point Andrew's made there, especially the um, the minutes played is a really key one, really mm. given the congested season. Um, but yeah, they could easily win that group and make me and the data look ridiculously stupid, but. Um, I would just, I would just personally hold fire. The, the one that I really like in terms of the group, um, in, in terms of the group betting, is France. I've got home field advantage throughout that group, um, and France obviously do play with Portugal um, and Hungary as well. I mean, that's a tough group. Surely, there's no value in that group. I mean, if you're if you're betting, I'm playing devil's advocate massively here. But if you're if you're if you're betting and you're looking at that group, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Surely. Well, yeah, it, is, it just depends on your opinions because every bookmaker I've seen so far has got different favourites to win the actual group. I mean, Germany are favourites in some places, France is favourites in others. Um, I just think France are the are the best team in that group. They're proven in these knockout comp- in these big tournaments. They obviously reached the, the final of the Euro 2016, then they went on to win the World Cup. Um, Germany, not the team of, of yesteryear whatsoever. Um, and Portugal, while they are similar to France in the sense that they are well set up for these tournaments and have a really strong team. I think they'll come, uh, they'll be second best to France over the course of the group. So for me, France to win the group, I think they're around 2.4 um, on pinnacle looks a really sensible um, group bet. That's interesting. You know what? I was just, I, I'm amazed that we've gone anywhere near group F in terms of the betting, but there we are. Jake Oscar Thorpe, that's what he says. And usually it sticks as we've seen so often. Um, throughout the season. Um, sometimes, though, gents, teams are kind of happy finishing second. And as groups kind of start to take shape, because of that route to the final, and obviously they're not going to throw a game and all, all that kind of thing, but we sometimes see, because they've already qualified, and it's looking likely that they're going to be probably best off in terms of getting further on into the business end of the tournament by finishing second, they'll rest players. We saw that with England, didn't we, in the World Cup? Uh, in 2018, they finished second in the group and it actually gave them a slightly easier route to the semi-finals. That's an example that springs to mind. There's been loads down the years. Does that affect odds and where you head in the market, Andrew? I think this one's quite a difficult one to to call because of the 
Um, certain third place teams will get through. You don't know who they're going to be or even which group they're from as, as you sort of sit here now looking at it. I mean, to, to use England as the most sort of obvious example, um, you know, that if they were to finish second in their group, then they have an easier last 16 match, most likely. But then they probably face the winner of, of Group F, the uh, much talked about group of death, which is bound to be a good team, whoever tops that group. And um, if they are runners up in the group, they have to they have to travel more um, England. They would be playing in uh, Copenhagen and then St. Petersburg um, in the first two rounds of the knockout phase if they were if they were runners up, whereas it's London and Rome if they if they win the group. And obviously the travel is a is a factor as well with the tight turnaround of games. So um, yeah, it's it, it's a tough one to call. Um, but I think they would they would certainly benefit from looking to to win the group and and sort of staying as close to to home base as they can, I think. This is interesting as always, here on the podcast. I just want to go business end of the season now, if you don't mind. We've got Dark Horses that is kind of something that I want to touch on here uh, with you, gents, because teams that could go further than expected, breakout players that aren't being talked about. This is another thing that happens, isn't it, when we get these big international tournaments. We saw it with, like, for example, James Rodriguez at the World Cup years ago. I mean, he was obviously known to massive football fans, but on the continent over here in Europe, he kind of burst onto the scene, didn't he? Um, And this is kind of an expected thing that that happens every time we see players that end up playing in the Premier League and getting picked up off the back of a, a brilliant tournament. So I'm just looking at any teams that spring to mind then that go further, that could go further than expected. Um, Jake, I'll start with you, mate, if you don't mind on this one. Um, give, give us some dark horse bets, some 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 outsiders. I know you like to be very safe and stick to the info goal model, but but is this something that the info goal model is suggesting that not necessarily the mainstream are kind of going for? Um, not really. I think the, the there's there's obviously four or five real strong favourites to win the competition. The likes of Belgium, Spain, France, Italy, England. Um, then there's a couple of three or four teams just in behind, the likes of Germany, Holland, Portugal, and then you get to your dark horses. But everywhere you read, everyone's tipping up the same dark horses to do well. So they're no longer dark horses. They're no longer going <laughs> on. Um, and they, those two teams in particular are Turkey and Denmark. Um, Denmark have been really, really strong over the last couple of, uh, couple of years. Obviously, they did a really nice job in qualifying. Um, they should have topped their group based on expected goals. And they're drawn in um, in a group with Belgium, but they probably will, they'll fancy the chances of getting out of that group um, at the very least as a second place team. And if they do, they'll be quite dangerous. And then the other team is Turkey, who obviously pushed France all the way in qualifying. Um, I think they only conceded three goals in qualifying. They they um, beat France and drew with them in their two head-to-head games and have since um, dismantled the, the Netherlands quite recently in World Cup qualifying. Um, they've got a you know, really... Um, strong side, probably players that people haven't heard of that play in different countries, but the likes of Burek Yilmaz, who is ancient, he's getting all, getting on quite a bit, but he's just fired Lille to a, a Liga and title in France. Yeah. We've got Hakan Kalanoglu, who's obviously um, their create, creator-in-chief that plays for AC Milan. Um, and Siunchu at the back is, is their rock, really, uh, Leicester's centre-half. So they're a really strong side. They're in a, a group with Italy, 
Switzerland and Wales. And I do feel as though they'll fancy their chances of, of progressing. Um, and if they do that, then they could easily set the set up a, a quite a nice last 16 tie, depending on the, the results elsewhere. In which case, Turkey to get to the quarterfinals does look like a, a really decent bet. I think it's around three to one in places. Wow, that's pretty good. I mean, they've won their last six in a row, have Turkey in international matches. They made light work. Um, midweek in, uh, in Moldova, 2-0 victory for them. I know we talk about friendlies, but I mean, they're continuing that uh, running form. Um, Belgium, you just talked about Belgium briefly just there, Jake. Has their time sort of come to an end? Because they've been threatened. I mean, look, they're the world number one ranked team. We all kind of go, as football fans at that, don't we? we all kind of scoff at the fact that they're the world number one team because they never have really threatened um, into, I mean, you know, they're all thereabouts, but they don't get there. They don't really look like they're going to have any kind of threat of winning um, a tournament. Has their river run a little bit? Because we've seen that kind of golden generation of Belgian players kind of come. I know this kind of all still there or thereabouts. They should actually be in the prime of their career. But I mean, particularly, we're not sure what's happening with De Bruyne. He's probably looking like he's going to miss that first game, isn't he, with that facial injury from the Champions League final. But do you fancy him? I mean, we'll get we'll get your perspective, Andrew, first, and then and then Jake. I want to sort of see what the numbers are saying. So, uh, Andrew, is Belgium's time up in terms of uh, threatening for uh, trophies? I don't think so um, necessarily. Uh, another piece I wrote recently for Pinnacle was about does age and experience matter at the Euros? And um, looking at the, the championships since 2000, um, Belgium have the most experienced squad in terms of caps per player of any of the teams uh, from any of those from any of those editions of the tournament. 50 caps per player, basically. Um, and the previous sort of record holders for that uh, experience thing were, were, were the Spain team of, of 2012 who, who won the tournament. They also have a lot of goals in the squad. They've uh, collectively scored 237 goals, which is more than, than any team in, in that period as well. So um, th- this might be their last hurrah. I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Um, but I, I wouldn't rule them out of sort of being sort of over the hill uh, just yet. I think their experience and their their sort of goal threat could could uh, help them go a long way. And Jake, what are the numbers saying? Because this is the point, Andrew, just to let you know where Jake says that the numbers point towards Belgium absolutely bombing <laughs> out and they're not going to do anything. So I, I don't know, Jake, you tell it's, me, you tell me, come on. Yeah, it's quite the opposite of what you said there. We've actually <laughs> got Belgium as our favourites to win the competition. Wow. Um, so we, 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 we give them a 17% chance of actually winning the competition. And at this stage, the majority of that is down to the, the kind draw that they're likely to have. So if they've got a fairly kind group, we're expecting them to breeze out of that group. But then it becomes, who can they draw in the knockout rounds? And uh, and poor old Mark Taylor, is, who writes for Pinnacle, he's had to somehow try and find a way to plot all the different potential likelihoods um, and then put it into one final bracket. So in our final bracket, we've got Belgium playing Sweden in the, quarter, uh, in the last 16 and then going on to Italy in the quarterfinals. So it's quite a nice kind of draw that they could eventually have which means it could be another semi-final berth. Because let's not forget, they reached the semi-finals of the World Cup. Uh, they were beaten by the, the um, eventual winners. And um, yeah, but even before that, the, you know, they'd knocked out Brazil, who were the, the tournament favourites. Um, but I do still have my doubts over Roberto Martinez as a coach, personally. Um, they, the, their squad of players is arguably one of the best in the competition. 
there's a few question marks still around the defence, in my opinion. Um, I think I saw that Thomas Vermaling managed to get a call up again, and he's playing somewhere in Japan. Um, so that sort of shows you the shortage in that area in particular. But going forward, there's there's you know there's an abundance of talent. If Eden Hazard's fully fit, um, which he hasn't managed to be for the last couple of years, he, he's one to to definitely keep an eye on. It sounds obvious, but you know he's been on ice for effectively for two years, mm. almost getting warm for this game, if you uh, this tournament, <laughs> if you like, trying to lead his country. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, you've got Romelu Lukaku, who's arguably one of the best strikers in Europe. Um, you know, and, and the, the back five or three at the back system in which they play is um, it can be very attack heavy. If you think of the the actual wing backs that are in use, I mean Yannick Carrasco usually plays as one of the wing backs, and he's an out and out winger effectively. Um, and Nasser Chadley sometimes plays at the other one. You know, remember him from Tottenham. Um, and Thomas Mounier is also a very attacking fullback. So I think it's very it's going to be a case for Belgium of can they score more than their opponents? Because I do think that they are vulnerable defensively. They do have, as I said, quite a lot of attacking talent. Uh, and even in midfield when they're playing the likes of Tielemans and De Bruyne, that's quite an attacking midfield. Um, Axel Witzel might come in to shore things up a little bit, but um, I'd expect Belgium's matches to be very high scoring, but with Belgium coming out on top in quite a lot of them. This is interesting. I like this a lot. So, look, you mentioned the info goal model there in terms of favourites and whatnot. France are favourites, of course, in the tournament. England are second favourites with Pinnacle, but joint fourth favourites based on the info goal model. So just try and give us a bit of a flavour then, Jake, of why this is and also what people should really be looking at in terms of odds and also comparing and contrasting with the info goal model. Regular listeners will you know, be sucking eggs for you lot, but I'm just thinking for some of our sort of um, other listeners who just jumped on for the sake of the Euros... What are they looking at? What are they trying to compare and contrast? Are they trying to look at uh, your model and then looking at some of the odds? I mean, t- tell us, tell people how it works. Yeah, so the you know the underlying uh, point of betting is to try and find value, um, and what we do at Infogol is we generate probabilities for every outcome, um, and then those probabilities can be um, in, de- derived or turned into implied odds, um, which can then be compared to the market. And if your price is shorter than the market, then you've got a value bet. So. In the case of England, the market has them second favourites. We make them um, nowhere near that, really, uh, as you said, fourth favourites. So we're giving them a 10% chance of winning the Euros, um, which implies a price of um, around nine to one. Compared to what's on Pinnacle, that suggests that they are not a value bet whatsoever. Um, And the main reason for that, we have England ranked as one of the top five, six teams in the tournament. But the main reason for that is is the potential draw uh, ramifications because, as Andrew said, when talking about the group of death, um, that there is absolutely a chance that England win their group with consummate ease, but then draw a France, Germany or Portugal in the next round, in which case it all of a sudden becomes more of a a toss of a coin and probably less in England's favour to progress. So in our ultimate bracket in which we've simulated the tournament a million times to try and find the you know the, the most accurate potential routes we've actually got England playing France in the second round which ultimately means um or would probably mean elimination which you know be sad for everyone involved <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Not the, the curveball yeah well yeah yeah uh, the curveball there is that as you mentioned James earlier in the World Cup where we won 
we, I say we, England, obviously, won both their opening group matches um, and then almost played a reserve team, happy to finish second and runners-up to try and get an easier draw. There's something that Gareth Southgate could do potentially um, this time round as well to try and navigate an easier draw would be to finish runners-up uh, behind what would probably be Croatia because then all in our ultimate bracket, Croatia, who finished second in this in the group, would play Poland in the last 16, uh, most likely. I mean, I say most likely, you're talking like 15, 20% because there's so many different permutations you could try and wrap your head around. But um, that just sort of shows you that the sort of things that come into play when we're talking um, about our percentages and odds. The, you know, we have our team rankings, but the main thing really is the projected draw because, um, yeah, it, ultimately, if you meet a, a team that's as strong as you or stronger in early rounds, then your chance of winning the competition is going to be much short, uh, much less than um, other teams. So, it, it, yeah, I think if England were playing Croatia on the final game, then Southgate might have, you know, one eye on letting Croatia kind of win. But <laughs> given we're playing them first, yeah, it is quite difficult to sort of predict because you put, you put if you lose that game, you're putting yourself into a corner of having to beat Scotland and then having to beat Czech Republic. Absolutely, um, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, look, we'll, so, come on to, we'll come on to best bets of the tournament in a bit, actually, because I think that could be a decent one that we just talked about. I know you're using an example, by the way, very well explained in terms of the model and the odds there, Jake. And also, he sat there in his England shirt listeners as well. So, you know, when he said <laughs> we, he fully meant it. Um, Croatia to win the group, England to finish second, could be a value bet in a second. But before we just come on and sort of wrap up with our final big bet, there's something that everybody loves to talk about in a tournament. And that is, who is the highest goal scorer? Uh, we want to know who that is going to be. I mean, there's so many big names, isn't there, on on that front? We've got Mbappe, we've got Kane, we've got Lukaku, who you mentioned, Jake. We've got Benzema, we've got Ronaldo. Who's it going to be? And I suppose, in fact, I don't suppose, it is, it's just fact, that basically um, it depends how far a team gets. So you're looking at Mbappe and, and or Benzema, for example, and actually, they, they're probably more likely to score more goals because there's a higher chance of them getting further than, for example, Harry Kane. So, come on, guys, who are you picking? Who's your highest goal scorer? I think I'm going to go for Lukaku. Um, hardly an original shout, but um, because of how we think Belgium are going to do, they should go deep into the competition. Um, he can probably score a few um, in the group stage because, you know, it doesn't take many goals to win it generally. I mean, Griezmann won it last time with six goals, but nobody else got more than three. So you don't tend to need too many goals to win this. And it's also worth noting that um, assists act as a tiebreaker, I believe, or at least they did at the last Euros. And Lukaku got 11 assists, the second most in Syria this season. So he might be able to pick up a little sort of tiebreaker point um, there along the way. Um, so yeah, like I say, not, not, not the most original shout or anything, but I think he's, uh, he's who I'd pick certainly. And Jake, who are you going for? Yeah, I've, I've got Lukaku down as well as, as my most fa- uh, fancied. I just think the, yeah, the group that he's in, he could easily rack up three or four goals in that group stage, um, which could, could be enough. Um, if you look at, you know, the, the, the French options you mentioned there, Mbappe, Benzema, uh, Griezmann as well, I think is, is a potential outside shout. They've got to navigate a difficult group that I expect will be very tight and low scoring. Um, and then obviously knockout games in particular are lower scoring. Um, so I, I would probably, 
I'm not 100% convinced on, on a France player or a German player or a Portugal player for, for that matter because of the low scoring nature of that group. But if I was to pick a France player, it's difficult to say. Is it like you want to get a penalty taker on board, but you don't know who's going to take French penalties because Mbappe's missed his last couple. Benzema took one and missed it in the last friendly, and Griezmann's missed his last three for France. So, um, yeah, I, I, outside of that, I'm really struggling. I just think it's Lukaku's. I think that, that, that I expect Belgium to score five, six in the, in the group stage at the very least. I mean, they've got um, Finland in there who are, you know, rank outsiders, really. They could really rack up a score against them. Russia, not exactly solid at the back. Denmark might be a little bit of a tougher match, but yeah, I do quite fancy the chances. Um, maybe one that's been banded about across the, the various channels has been Memphis Depay. Um, I, I'm not sold on, on ne the Netherlands having a good tournament personally. Um, I know Andrew mentioned Ukraine in that group. Uh, and I, I think that Ukraine have got a, a decent chance of getting out of it. I just, again, it's with the manager. You've got Frank de Boer in charge and he's, um, you know, well-renowned for his very, very short stint at Crystal Palace. It's like, do you trust the Netherlands to do well um, and create chances and score goals? Um, yeah, Harry Kane could easily go close. I think it, that all depends on Gareth Southgate's tactics, really, which mm. is a case of whether... He plays a back three and he's all defensive-minded as he was in the uh, in the World Cup, playing with set pieces and fine margins. Or if he uses the attacking talent available, Foden, Grealish, Mount, Sancho, Rashford, Sterling, you know, there's loads of them. If he plays all out attack and tries to win games 5-4, I'm all for it. I think it'd be excellent. Um, and Harry Kane could, could grab an absolute hatful. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, for me... Lukaku is the obvious bet. I think he's rightly the, at the head of the market. I think there's still a bit of value as well in that price. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, and then the other team that I'm expecting to do well, Spain, but they don't really have an out-and-out -out number nine that they that starts regularly. Well, no, Alvaro Morata is 17.74 on uh, Pinnacle. And uh, just to mark your card, actually, you said Lukaku is it 7.3 on Pinnacle to finish as the top goal scorer. And Karen Benzema at just over eight and a half, of course. All odds at the moment are correct at the time of recording. Now, we've got a two or three minutes left here on the podcast. I think what we're going to do is we're going to go through best bets of the tournament. So we, I think we heard a couple of really solid ones earlier on in the podcast, but let's just recap them. So start off with you, Andrew. I mean, you went Ukraine. I know Jake tried to dispel it slightly, but um, I want to hear your best bets and just um, ignore each other for the purposes of this. Yeah, I'll have to, won't I? Because uh, Jake will probably <laughs> prove me wrong, which is uh, which is fine. That's why we're here. You know, that's all right. That's what it's worth. We 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 have got Ukraine finishing second in that group. Well, there we so well there we we've go. got them getting out, and it wouldn't be surprised to see them finish above Holland. So. Yeah, exactly. There's definitely there's definitely a chance of that. Um, a lot of them, it, it it does. It's hard to argue against the favourites in a, in a lot of cases, um, which doesn't sort of make for necessarily good value plays, but it is a fact of, of what tends to happen in, in international football. The best players sort of rise to the top. Um, I think it's not impossible that um, Croatia could um, win the group ahead of England. Um, as we've said, they play um, first in the first match and how that um, goes could basically determine who, who wins the group. So I think that's not a bad shout. Um, but beyond that, I'm going to stick with my Ukraine tip. And I think um, Lukaku is uh, is a great shout for, for top goal scorer. There we go. That's Andrew Beasley's Jake Oscarthorpe from InfoGoal. Hit me with your sort of best bets for the Euros. 
Yeah, there's quite a few that spring to mind. Um, like Andrew said, there's quite a few of the group winners I'm quite happy to get on side. I think Italy in the Group A, they're around 1.6. I think that they'll win that group. Again, that, that's a, a really competitive group, in my opinion, where all, all well, Italy are the standout, but the other three teams are quite close together, especially quite tight at the back defensively. So, um, But I expect Italy to win that. Belgium... I'm surprised that they're around 1.6 to win that group as well. Um, I, th- I think that that's a, a really solid proposition. Um, really on board with the Croatia as a little outside stab to win the group at around four. Um, yeah, the, the, the Netherlands-Ukraine group, I, I definitely would be taking the Netherlands on at that mm. price. Uh, they're around 1.3 to win the group. I think that they, that they should be taken on um, in whatever way you can. Uh, yeah. As I said, I, I like France to win Group F. I think that they are uh, the standout team in uh, of those three in the group of death, as we've got to call it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then I, I, I think for, from a an outright perspective, I, I've said that Belgium are the value play. Um, I'm happy to get Belgium. I think they'll have a nice, easy run if they win the if they win the group, um, and they should dismantle quite a few teams in that group. I also like Spain's chances as well. They've got um, what on paper looks like quite a competitive group, but you've got a Sweden team who are very robust, don't really have an attacking uh, focal point. You've got a Poland team that are a slight bit on the, on the decline. Um, Lewandowski obviously is, you know, the best striker in Europe, but the team around him is, is not the same as it was as I think it was 2012 and 2016. Um, and, and yeah, they could end up with quite a kind draw themselves. So Spain would be the ones I'd be looking at. And they, you know, we talk about managers a little bit on this podcast, but they've got Luis Enrique, who's a proven coach, um, you know, he's won everything at Barcelona. Um, and although he had a, a little hiatus from the Spain managerial job, he's come back and they put in some really strong performances, notably um, dismantling Germany 6-0, which was yeah. not so long ago. So, um, yeah, I, I do quite like Spain in the outrights and, and I would give Italy a shout as well, depending on the price that you can get. Well, there you have it. There you go. From Jake, Oscar Thorpe and Andrew Beasley on our Info Goal and Pinnacle betting preview podcast for the European Championships. I'm not calling it Euro 2020, as I said right at the top of the show. Just refuse. It's not 2020. It bothers me. I don't really know why. But, gents, thanks so much. That's brilliant. I hope that if you have listened to this podcast, if you're a regular listener, you're getting the edge as usual. And if you're a first-time listener... Thanks for joining in as well. You can find out more about the InfoGoal model at infogoal.net, pinnacle.com and at Pinnacle on Twitter, pinnacle.betting on the swanky new Instagram page as well. As the tournament progresses, it'll have loads of stuff on there. Content coming from the Copper America as well. Uh, You can head to our betting resources page on pinnacle.com. It details each group and how you can get the value in the market across the entire tournament. Remember, as ever, to gamble responsibly, and all the odds, as I said a bit earlier on, they were subject to change from the time of recording. But more importantly, thanks so much for listening. 